Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Lindsay Carter, the founder of Set Active, and this is my new podcast, Ready, Set, Spill. Finding the balance between being a mom, running a business, and still maintaining somewhat of a social life is a constant work in progress. We live in a time where social media glamorizes everything that we do, but life isn't always a perfectly curated Instagram post. And that's coming from someone who built their business on a perfectly curated Instagram feed. Nothing here is off limits, so get ready, get set, because it's time to spill. Welcome to Real Pod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Okay, I would be lying if I didn't say I wasn't slightly apprehensive about today's episode just because it's not the popular conversation to have. And today I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. T, who is amazing, first of all. He's a Johns Hopkins trained psychiatrist. He's board certified in both general adult psychiatry and child and adolescent psychiatry. And he also specializes in sports psych. Not to mention, he's on the advisory board for my nonprofit, The Hidden Opponent. So Dr. T is a friend, a mentor. I love him. He's the best. Now, Dr. T is joining me today because I wanted to have a conversation about, you know, the ways in which the mental health conversation could be like, and once again, I'm like stuttering over my words here because I want to say the wrong thing, maybe creating or encouraging issues that aren't ideal. And look, this is an important conversation. It's super complex. That's why I only felt I could have it with Dr. T, someone who is an expert in this field and has the research and the training you know, to provide his opinion and experience and knowledge on the subject. We're going to get into a lot today. I think it's just healthy to think about, you know, how is the conversation on mental health affecting us? How is the content we see online affecting us? At what point are we normalizing it so much so that we are then comfortable in it, right? We're going to get into all the nuances today because the last thing I want to do is generalize mental health issues, right? And then there's mental illness. And those are things we're going to talk about today. What's the difference? What sort of language should we be using when referring to 
our experiences and what we've gone through. I'm actually really excited about this conversation because here at RealPod, we like to keep it real. We like to ask questions. We like to say what's on our heart, what we're feeling. We love to learn as well. We love to grow. You know, all of this was stemmed from a TikTok and Instagram reel I posted where I was saying that subscribing to negative mental health memes is actually something that I think doesn't serve a great purpose in the long run. You know, at the time you're struggling, it's a great coping mechanism. I'll talk about that on the show. So I'll kind of keep this short so I don't repeat myself. But at what point is laughing at depression memes actually not helping you break through to wherever it is you want to be? So I'm not going to keep us any longer from this conversation because it's so good. We're going to dive right in real quick. I want to give a shout out to Ira. Ira, thanks for leaving a five-star review. They said, I'm so grateful to have found RealPod. There's always something to learn and a moment to make me feel good. Keep the amazing content coming. Thanks, Ira. I so appreciate this. And I love that you said there's always something to learn. I feel the same way. I thought that was so fitting for this episode. So shout outs to you. Thanks for tuning in every week. And thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in today. Without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with sports psychiatrist, Dr. T. Dr. T, I'm hyped that you're here. We've been dreaming up a conversation together for such a long time. For anyone who's unfamiliar with you and the work that you do, would you be open to just sharing what's brought you to the field of psychology and the work you do with athletes? Absolutely. So I grew up, I was a competitive athlete. I was a division one college wrestler. My father was actually a psychiatrist. So I had exposure to the field early on, but ultimately wanted to get into teaching and coaching. I ended up going to medical school and became a medical doctor and then did my residency in psychiatry at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And so ultimately my passion for teaching and coaching never left me, but I've been able to kind of combine that passion with my athletic experience, my medical knowledge, and my mental health experience and really being able to provide a service, mental health education and support and mindset training for athletes, because I think it's actually a population that really gets underserved and overlooked when it comes to mental health and wellness. Definitely. And that's actually what made our paths cross was work in that field. Now, something that I want to share with everyone is just in developing a friendship, right? And working together, you've said to me, if you ever need an expert opinion or an expert to come validate something, you know who to call. And it was the perfect timing because something happened on Instagram recently. And I've been wanting to bring light to this, in my opinion, an issue, I think for a while now. And basically what I did was I created this TikTok where I kind of called out a certain type of social media use that I'm seeing everywhere. And right now, I think the hot topic and the buzzword are things like anxiety and quote unquote PTSD and OCD and people using these terms in sentences very casually. And also a lot of popular videos and posts being about like, oh my gosh, I'm so depressed today. Life sucks. Oh my God, I'm so anxious. And it's kind of like a joke. Like, you know, it's a punchline and people laugh and they see these videos and it's relatable and it's funny. But at what point is it not helpful? 
And, you know, when I was in my depressive episode in college, I used to love all of those memes and those jokes because I would be literally depressed crying in the back of a plane on my way to Washington for a game. And I'd scroll past a meme about like honestly wanting to die or not wanting to be alive. And I would laugh. And it was the only thing that brought me joy. So part of me is like, I completely get it. You, you feel like that's the only way you're understood. Another part of me recognizes that negativity breeds negativity. And at what point is your environment what's either keeping you in your trenches or not allowing you to grow or feel differently? And I got pushback. I got pushback for people saying, you know, you can't judge the way other people cope. I got pushback for people saying, if you are someone who is diagnosed with clinical depression, that's not episodic, right? I had an episode that is past. Some people are always depressed. So, I mean, I'm just going to stop speaking there and let our conversation take it where you think it may. But I just think this is really important for people to talk about. And it might be hard to hear. No, I appreciate it. And I think, you know, it's important to talk about it, right? And when we're looking at mental health and we're looking at mental illness, right? And a lot of times we use those terms kind of interchangeably, right? So we talk about mental health, mental illness. But the reality is when you're evaluating, it's important to kind of consider the whole package, right? And so there's biology. There's behaviors, there's personality vulnerabilities, there's experiences in our life, and there's environment, all of which contribute to those things. And when you're looking at like treating it and doing something about it, you also have to consider all of those things. So to answer your point about how much does environment play into it, it's a big, big part of it because we may have genetic vulnerabilities. We may have things that have happened in our past. We may have certain aspects of our personality that makes you know, certain experiences feel stronger, right? Or we have stronger reactions to things. But the reality is too, is that we're navigating through our environment and through our life story. And it's important to take that into context and understand that that's a big, big part of it, right? The other thing that's really important, and we talk about this a lot in treatment, is the fact that our thoughts are so connected to our emotions and our actions. So if we're constantly consuming negativity, right? And we're looking at things and we're looking at images and videos that really validate that quote unquote negative experience or that depressive thinking, that's just going to reinforce those emotions, right? And then ultimately it's going to feed into our actions of like not being able to do things. And there's a thing, Victoria, that's called negativity bias, right? And the idea is that in our brains, negativity is seven times more powerful than positivity, right? It takes up more space. I mean, even if you think about not being quote unquote depressed or having a depressive episode. You talked about how I feel like I'm always in a great mood, right? You can have a great day and everything could be going great and everything in your life is great. And fundamentally, you can be a very, very positive person. And then you hit traffic on the way home and you're late for something, right? Which in the grand scheme of things might not be a big deal, but now it's the worst day ever. And you come home and you're in a terrible mood and everything is wrong and you're irritable. And so it doesn't take much for us to sway in that you know, in that realm. And the idea is that if all we're doing is consuming that, right, then that's going to make it harder and harder to focus on the positive things. And it's harder to focus on what we have and what we can do. And so I think your point is very valid in that it's important to take these things in context. And sometimes, you know, if you can't laugh about it, you're going to cry about it. And sometimes you're crying about it and laughing about it. But the idea too, is that if that becomes the norm, right? And that becomes sort of what's quote unquote normal or what's typical, then we're really getting away from trying to feel better and trying to do something about it. And so we kind of like get ourselves stuck. And I think that's the problem with it. And it becomes a less, 
it's not a productive environment and it's not a productive environment to get better and to grow and to evolve and to even think, hey, I deserve better. I could actually be happy. But when you have opportunities to be happy and you're surrounded by people that tell you it's okay to be happy, that's also really, really powerful. Gosh, so much to dive into. I'm like taking notes as you talk so that we can unpack everything. Going back to the very first thing you said, the difference between mental health and mental illness. And I'm so glad you pointed this out because language is important. And I've been starting to really think about that more, whether I'm listening to Brene Brown or I'm thinking about the way I speak and the way that I will use terms or words that aren't actually applicable or that's not what it actually I mean. And I think you see that a lot when people say, oh, I have anxiety or like literally giving me anxiety. And it's it's kind of a joke. And it's, hmm, no, are you experiencing anxiety? Are you experiencing the emotion of anxiousness? And there's a big difference there. And so in talking about how important language is, yes, I would love to know mental health, mental illness. How do you define the difference between the two? Obviously, I have my own thoughts on, on what it is. But as the expert, I'd love for you to kind of define that for us. Well, so, all right, let's take the analogy of physical health and physical illness right? Like if you ask somebody, what's the difference between physical health and physical illness? Most people are probably going to say physical health is exercising, eating the right things, being active, taking care of yourself. Physical illness is when you have, you know, something goes wrong, right? You need to see a doctor. You can't get out of bed. You know, you have, you know, a chronic illness, you have cancer, you know, you broke something like those are things that people can identify things that limit you, things that limit your ability to do what you want to do. Right. And I think mental health and mental illness, we kind of use them interchangeably. We're like, mental health is so important. You know, we all struggle with mental health. But the reality is, if we think about mental health as the idea of taking care of ourselves, you know, surrounding ourselves with positive people, choosing the way we think, using language in a more intentional way and not necessarily in a very casual, flippant way, that ultimately minimizes the experience of people that have mental illness. Because depression and anxiety are true mental illnesses, right? And it's not just that they feel anxious or they feel depressed. It takes away their energy, their ability to think, their ability to be productive, their self-attitude, right? Which is how they feel bad about themselves. You and I have talked about how you used to feel guilty and then you would feel guilty about feeling guilty. And then you would get upset at yourself because now you felt this way and all these other people cared about you. That's a difference, right? Than saying, hey, I'm nervous or I'm anxious or I'm sad. And I think it's important to delineate these terms. And so to me, mental health is really should be about how do we take care of ourselves and how's our state of health in that moment, right? Right. How's our state of health in that moment? How are we feeling in that moment? You could be sad. You could be anxious. You could even feel discouraged or demoralized, right? And those are things that I think would sort of fit into that. And then it's like, well, this is in the context of how I feel and what's going on. And these are the things that I can do to kind of help take care of myself. Whereas mental illness to me is a disorder where it gets in your way of functioning. It limits your ability to function. And that's not just in that moment. It's on a day-to-day basis. So I think if we really want to like understand it, we have to use the right language. And if we just kind of casually say, oh my God, I'm depressed. It's my OCD. Then it really minimizes the experience of people that have that because now you're sort of lumping it all together and saying like, well, we're all anxious. We're all depressed. We all have experiences where we feel anxious and we feel depressed at times, but we are not all depressed. And I think that marginalization of people that feel so isolated, when you say, oh, we're all in it, it really then minimizes them there because they're like, well, no, I'm not like you because I can't get out of bed and you're running around and you're doing great things and you're at this event and you're that event. And then you're saying you're depressed. Well, what does that mean about me? Because I can't get out of bed and I'm thinking about dying. So like, 
when you say we're the same or you use the words as if we're the same, that's really, really isolating. And that's really hard to hear when you don't feel like that. It's just such a tricky conversation because there's also that side of you can't know what it is like to be someone else. And no one wants to invalidate the experiences of others. And no one wants to be the person to say, well, go to another second doctor to get a second psychiatrist opinion. You know, it's like, oh, are you invalidating my experience? And also depression does look different on everyone. You know, I, I had the days where, yeah, I did not go on spring break. I didn't work an internship and I was literally bedridden at my parents because I was so depressed. But in the school semester, I vividly remember some days where I was like hysterically crying and I would be walking through campus and I would see someone approach me and instantly I'd be like, hi, oh my gosh, how are you? I'm doing so good. Yes. I'll see you in class. Bye. They leave. My face dropped like back to how I actually felt. So I also think it's tough because you just can never know what someone's really experiencing. So it's almost like we can just only hope that a conversation like this encourages everyone to think more intensely about the way they speak about their issues. No, I totally agree. And I think that if we can get better at using language appropriately, but also asking, right? Instead of saying, oh, you're depressed, I'm depressed too. Oh, you feel anxious? Oh, let me tell you about like what happened to me today, right? Because then again, you're not listening. And I think part of the problem is we sort of project how we feel onto other people or how we think they should feel, right? And then we sort of you know, and I think that's part of the problem with the mental health field is we don't, we should, we're in a field where we should be listening. And oftentimes we don't listen enough, but I think to your point, asking questions, listening, and then clarifying, what do you mean when you say that? Tell me more about that. Like what's your experience, right? Like, how are you actually feeling? How's it impacting you? What are the thoughts that are going on? Right. If we actually do that, then we have a better understanding of what it means to them versus just, oh, you're depressed. That's defined as blah, 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 blah. So either you are or you aren't. But the reality is, like you said, it's so different to everybody else. So if you ask and somebody says, look, I'm, I'm really depressed, say, tell me more. Like, what's going on today? You know, how long have you been feeling this way? What can I, how can I help you? How can I understand what you're doing? Then that draws them out a little bit more and they're better able to understand it, right? And you're able to understand that experience. And that to me is listening and using language in a way of really clarifying what they mean, what it means to them versus just slapping on a definition or just using it casually. And I think that would be a really, really helpful step in the right direction. But I, I agree with you. I think language is so critical and I don't think we use it appropriately enough to really, really clarify. So we have these ideas of what we think these terms mean. And then when we see somebody else say it and we're like, but that's, that's not really how I feel. It's, it's just really hard to understand. So we need to listen. We need to understand and we need to get a better baseline of language so we can all communicate in the same language. We're not communicating in the same language. We're all speaking different languages. And then we're frustrated because we can't understand each other. I completely agree. And it's so interesting with social media because everyone wants to be, quote, relatable. You know, relatability is the way that I think people become infatuated with others and that they, I wasn't use the word though, they relate to others. I mean, you know, relatability means, oh, hey, you are like me in this way. And then I feel seen and I don't feel so much alone. And I think what happens with, you know, this social media content is people will see a funny TikTok that's about waking up in the morning and then my anxiety is like, does everyone hate you? And it's like on the beat drop. And so it's funny and everyone laughs and you send it to your friends and you're like, yeah, this is me in the morning. But at what point is that not 
gonna allow you the possibility to rewire the inner dialogue, you know? And then also I just feel like there's two conversations because there's maybe people who were like me, who it was an episode for me. And it did take making a lot of changes to my environment to give myself the opportunity to heal. And, and many things I was very privileged to have access to like a therapist and like a psychiatrist and like an awesome support system. So not everyone has access to that. And then also there's other people who it is chronic. It is not something that's going to go away with positive thinking anyways. So should they just watch the videos all day long? You know, I just think that's why this conversation is one that Max and I talk about it all the time. The way that we went from mental health being so, so, so stigmatized to just in five years, everyone has something and that's what makes you fit in. It's almost like my friend Natalie, who corporate Natalie, I had her on the show. She's like, no, I've never been depressed. I I don't know the experience of depression. And it's almost like she feels like she needs to have some story because everyone has a story now. Yeah. You know, it's interesting the way you talk about it, because I think to some extent it helps us feel connected. It helps us feel validated. Right. And we feel better, but it's like very temporary and it's very superficial. Right. It's like thinking that we have something in common with some of these people that we've never met because they've listed on a couple of things. We're like, oh my God, I know exactly how you feel. I feel the same way. And it's like seeing something in somebody else that on the surface, you're like, oh, you like that? I like that too. Like we're besties. But the reality is it's very temporary and it's very superficial. And it's interesting. You talk about how some people are episodic, some people are chronic. But the reality is if we really talk about this idea of like, we need to have more awareness, like we need to have more education. We need to break the stigma. And we also need to change the narrative how we view it because if we just say like it's okay to not be okay, right? How often do we say it's okay not to be okay, right? But like, why can't it be okay to be okay? Like, why can't it be okay to be great today, right? Like, if we okay to not be okay, then that means I'm sorry, it sucks for you, and you're going to be sad the rest of your life, or you're going to be miserable, you're never going to be happy. And it's almost like looking at other people that that grow up in sort of underprivileged areas or underserved areas and saying, well, like, you're never going to be anything successful. But like, no, like, no, you can. Is it hard? Yes. Does it make it harder if you don't have access, that you don't have a great support system? But if we truly want to believe that, hey, we are all going to help each other. We're all in this together, right? And how often do we say like, oh, we're, you know, all in different boats, but we're weathering the same storm. Like, we have all these like amazing sayings and quotations and they look great on social media as well. And people like, like them a million times. But the reality is then why can't we all get better, right? Why can't we actually strive even if we try, even if we try and it doesn't work out? Isn't it still worth the effort, right? To know that like, I'm going to do everything I can to feel the way I want to feel, do what I want to do, connect myself with the people I want to connect with. And even if I fail, then I've learned a lot about myself. You and I, we've talked about language and I've talked about the word fail, right? And I've talked about how I believe that fail should stand for first attempt in learning or further attempts in learning. But sometimes we're so scared to fail because if we try to get better and we don't, then what does that mean, right? Like if we actually go to try to get support and it doesn't work, now we feel even worse. But like, don't we deserve to give ourselves the chance and say, look, maybe there's an opportunity for me to feel better. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to be happier. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to be able to do even the smallest things. And I think if we start there, then even the smallest things become bigger things. And I, you know, I look at people that on the surface grow up in the most difficult of circumstances in other countries. And if you really, really look at them, some of them are the happiest people, right? Because what's important to them is not how, what everybody else thinks about them. 
or how they're viewed to everybody else. It's like they've identified a few key things that are important, and those are the things they focus on, not what they don't have, right? It's the few things. And so you think about how these poor people, they grow up in this country, and they don't have this, and they don't have that. And then you look at them, and they're like, why do I need all that? Like, that's just causing me more problems because they've sort of focused on the fact that it's not okay to not be okay. It's okay to be okay. And it's okay to be great. What makes me great? I have a great family. I have this. I get to wake up every day. The fact that you get to wake up every day means you're still winning. It means you're still winning because you get to wake up every day. So why can't we use that as the motivating factor? And it's not just about positive thinking, but it's about utilizing that and creating an opportunity to then say, can I do something about this? I 100% hear you. And that's honestly how I feel I approached my situation when I finally sought the help and realized I need to make changes. Like I'm just letting myself sink into this deeper hole and I, I need to try to do something about it. With all the stress going on in the world, the best part of my day is getting into bed. And I'm so excited because I've just upgraded to some new sheets from Cozy Earth. These are unreal, people. They are softer than cotton, made from soft and sustainable viscose from bamboo fabrics, and they are temperature regulating. So cozy earth sheets keep you cool and comfortable all night long, which is so important because Max hates overheating at night. I'm probably much more easygoing than him, but to find sheets that we're both obsessed with was a major, major win. And cozy earth develops and crafts high quality goods with responsibly and sustainably sourced materials from the earth. So you can get the restorative sleep you need to curate your sanctuary and recharge from the comfort of your home and also be doing something that is great for our planet. Not to mention cozy earth has been featured on Oprah's favorites list for four years in a row. Like Oprah is shouting out Cozy Earth for four years in a row. That is saying something. Cozy Earth is so confident in what they're bringing to the table that they even offer a 100-night sleep test. That means you can try it for 100 nights. And if you don't love it, you can send it back for a full refund. I mean, that is crazy. That is like almost a third of the year, right? That's how sure Cozy Earth is. You are going to fall in love with their products. Cozy Earth has provided an exclusive offer for RealPod listeners today. 35% off site-wide when you use the code RealPod. If you go to CozyEarth.com right now and you use the code RealPod, you get 35% off site-wide. I mean, that discount is unbeatable. Head to CozyEarth.com today. Use code RealPod for 35% off site-wide. You won't regret it. All right. You know, Macy's has been sponsoring this podcast for a while, which we love, but listen to this. This month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and Macy's is celebrating the 25 million distinctly unique Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders this month and all year long. Since 2007, you might not know this, but Macy's has raised over $790,000, whoa, in support of APIA scholars in their mission to ensure that Asian American and Pacific Islander students have access to a college education. So help fund scholarship funds, peer mentorship, and mental wellness programs by donating online and rounding up in-store for APIA scholars. So when you shop at Macy's, getting any of the cute things that you love, shoes, handbags, nail polish, makeup, home essentials, Macy's has it all. You can round up at checkout to support APIA scholars. Plus, you can shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned and founded brands like the Beauty Crop, the Key, 
and noho home at macy's.com slash purpose. That's so great. Head to macy's.com slash purpose and you can support Asian American and Pacific Islander owned and founded brands. It's an honor to have Macy's sponsor RealPod and so special that we have this opportunity to join them in celebrating Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. Once again, head to macy's.com slash purpose, macy's.com slash purpose. As you were just talking, the part of my interview brain that's thinking, what could the audience be thinking? What would someone who's playing devil's advocate be thinking? And the word toxic positivity came to mind because people nowadays love to throw that back at the inspirational content or the optimistic content and say, you know, it's it's a mulling over the issue. I don't agree with that because I do think there is toxic positivity where people like literally sweep things under the rug. They don't acknowledge the pain of others. But then I, I think the way that we've seen language evolve and, and not be used properly, I think weirdly a large portion of society doesn't even want to hear inspirational words that are sound and that do cover the entire picture and the scope of everything because they don't even like want the happiness. I think you're right. And I think ultimately it comes down to the intention behind it, right? We're talking about language. So if you're just saying things to say things and there's no intention behind it, then it probably is toxic because now you're just saying it. It's superficial. It's fake. It's not authentic. But if you truly look at the fact that we all do have an opportunity to be happy and we should all have an opportunity to be happy and the choice to be happy is within all of us. It doesn't mean that if we choose to be happy, we're going to be happy. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't want anyone to listen to me to say, oh, so if I choose to be happy, I'm going to be happy. But like, no, but the choice to seek out happiness, the choice to seek out something better than what you have, better than what you, where you are, you know, that's something that's within all of us. Even those of us that are quote unquote happy, we can either be content with that happiness or we can say, how can I improve? How can I get better as a person? How can I get better as a husband? How can I get better as a significant other? How can I get better within my community, right? How can I help my other people happy? So I think the positivity is important if the intention behind it is let's all motivate each other. Let's all come together. Let's utilize this to change that think that thinking that we talked about, that, that negativity bias, right? Because the more positivity we have, the less powerful the negativity is. The more we pay attention to the negativity, the more powerful that's going to be. But I also think it goes back to your point about like just saying I'm anxious, I'm depressed. Like that to me is also toxic negativity because there's no intention sometimes behind it. You say it. I love But the that. reality is like, are you truly anxious and depressed or in that moment, are you overwhelmed? You're right. And that's a difference. So, you know, either way, if you're going to, if you're going to use quote unquote negative terms, you should really mean it. You should really feel that experience. And then it's going to be more authentic and genuine and people are going to take it more seriously. Right. And they're going to want to help and you're going to take it more seriously versus just saying it over and over again. And the same thing with positivity, like have an intention and a meaning behind it. It's like when you tell somebody you love them, you should really love them. You should really care about them. It doesn't mean that like you're in love with them, but you care about them as a person. You care about their value. You care about the fact that they're, they mean something. Right. Like we should say things with intention and with honesty and with integrity. And if we do that, then whether it's positive or negative doesn't really matter so much as the fact that it's real. Mm -hmm. And that's important. Oh, so much is going through my mind because it's also hard to really understand what we're going through. And when I was experiencing performance anxiety for the first time, I didn't have the words performance anxiety. I'd never heard that before. Or maybe I did, but I wasn't thinking too much about it because I thought that'll never be me. 
So it's also tough when mental health issues and mental illness are things that are so hard to put into words, which is why it's such a complex conversation. I totally agree. But it's also something that I think, again, it goes back to this idea of we talk so much about awareness now and breaking stigma. But if we're really going to break the stigma, like I said, we got to change the narrative and we actually have to work harder to use terms that are more appropriate. Right. And I remember you and I had this conversation with Mark Kalinsky, right, about his son, Tyler, and how they don't use the word committed suicide. Right. And he died by suicide. I think that's an important thing. I think a lot of times we use the word ideation very, very casually. I have suicidal ideation. I have this. We have a lot of thoughts that go in our head, a lot of ideas. But there's a lot of when you say that, that implies a whole umbrella term of like anywhere from, hey, I hate my life today to I'm having a bad day to I think I want to die to I actually am going to die and this is what I'm going to do. It all goes under that umbrella and that's not all the same thing. So I think it's important to like these generalizable terms that we use to really kind of break them down to define them, but also not subtype them too much because sometimes we get in and we start like, is it this or is it this? Do I have this or do I have this? But really understanding a shared experience of how we identify these terms so that we can actually understand it. That to me, and I think it needs to be taught a lot earlier on, by the way, right? Like you get to college and you have these experiences and you don't really know what it is. But I think if these things are taught throughout within conversations within the family, where a lot of families don't want to talk about it, conversations in school, where a lot of schools don't want to talk about it, but these are real life things. And if we're going to teach other things and we're going to teach people how to take care of themselves and how to articulate and advocate for themselves, whether it's in a classroom or whether it's on an athletic field or whether it's in a relationship and being able to advocate for themselves and to take care of themselves. And we also need to help them understand what is typical, what's atypical, when should you be concerned when you, when you have certain experiences and we need to all understand them so that parents can have better conversation with kids. Teachers can have better conversation with kids. Coaches can have better conversation with kids. Kids can have better conversations with other kids. Kids can have better conversations with themselves. And so as you start to have these conversations and these ideas and these experiences, you're better able to understand, like, what am I experiencing and what is this? And if you don't know, you at least know you can ask somebody and they will help you understand it because they're speaking the same language. <sighs> Dr. T, if someone is just <sighs> in the dumps, just depressed, just sad, and maybe they're not even like ready for optimism yet, or they're not ready to take the step. Do you think that's, do you think that's the case sometimes or just not ready? And at what point is a coping mechanism at a low point actually a hindrance to the growth? No, I, I definitely think that, you know, when you look at depression, right, it's not just about feeling down. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you process your environment. It affects your energy level, your motivation, your concentration. Those are the things ultimately that it affects most of, right? And so then your ability to actually process optimism is going to be limited. Your ability to actually take other people's experience and say, hey, we can help you. The ability to have hope, the ability to feel hope, the ability to think that way is really limited because of the depression. And so, yes, do I think that when somebody is really, really, quote unquote, down in the dumps and really has a true depression or is in the midst of a depressive episode, is optimism not going to be enough? Absolutely. But does that mean that we shouldn't try, right? Like, does it mean that we shouldn't try to help them understand that there is hope and that you have hope for them? Because if they can't feel hope for themselves, but other people can feel hope for them, sometimes that's enough to say, you know what? I feel terrible. I feel horrible. I don't want to be here, but this person believes in me. So can I at least do this for them? 
can I at least get help for them? And if we can get help for other people, and you and I've talked about this before, is how sometimes we do things for other people before we do things for ourselves. But if we can offer hope to people, and there's enough people that can offer hope to one person, then maybe it's enough. Not that they're just going to bust out of it and they're going to be, you know, skipping down the road and it's going to be a rainbow and it's going to be a whole nother meme or a whole nother TikTok, right? But the idea is that why should we not try? Because then if we try and we try and we try and we try and it's still not enough, what have we lost? What have we lost? But if we don't try, then the thing that we've lost is someone's ability to get better and somebody's ability to potentially continue living. And that to me is like, the risk of trying and offering optimism and hope, and even for that person to see, wow, like these people all love me, but they're genuine about it. They genuinely tell me they love me and they care about it and it's going to be okay. And they're going to be there with me every step of the way. Then maybe I can at least take one step. Maybe I can at least access help. Maybe I can at least trust them if I don't trust in myself. That's what like life is about is the ability to connect with other people, trust them, knowing it might not work out, but like if it does, it's going to be amazing, right? No relationship is guaranteed to work out, but does that mean we don't try to find like our person? No, we keep trying and we keep trying and we keep trying. And sometimes we have to go through multiple people to finally find our person. But when we get there, it's totally worth it. It's worth all the trouble, all the failures all the heartache, all the times we doubted ourselves. And I'm not equating depression with being in a relationship, but the point is we can choose our relationship with our depression. And we can choose to look for other opportunities and it makes it a little bit easier. And again, part of that is not just being optimistic and getting out of it. It's maybe seeking help. It's maybe taking medication. It's maybe making lifestyle changes. It's maybe taking other coping mechanisms that maybe felt made you feel better in the short term and realizing, look, in the long term, this isn't helping me. Like if I'm continuing to use these substances or I'm continuing to engage in this kind of behavior, that's not helpful. And maybe I need to kind of redefine my relationship and, and eliminate my relationship with toxic people or toxic substances or toxic environments. But the reality is if you look at the biology and the personality and the behavior and the environment and you make changes along the way to all of them, then you have a much, much better chance. And the reality is depression is treatable. It is treatable. Some people it's easier than others, but it is treatable. Anxiety is treatable. So does that mean you're always going to, you're never going to have it again? Not necessarily, but the reality is it is treatable. And so if we look at it like it's a death sentence, then what good are we doing? What are we, good are we doing to the mental health field and breaking the stigma? We're just marginalizing people. And we're saying, well, you have this, you're never going to get better. And there's no point in being optimistic to you or being positive to you. But like, why not do what we can to help people and help them be able to see that like they deserve better? Now, if today's episode is making anything evident, it's that mental health is serious. It's very serious. And if you are struggling with something and you just don't know quite how to solve it, or even if you're just feeling burnt out, like you're working too much, not taking enough time for yourself, or are overly stressed, you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash realpod because BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with a therapist in just under 48 hours. I'm so glad this podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp because oftentimes you might recognize you're struggling or you need to talk to someone, but you're just not sure where to go. If you head to betterhelp.com slash realpod, 
pod today, not only will you get 10% off your first month, but you can start getting the help you need. My experience with BetterHelp has been amazing. I was able to chat with my therapist online and also meet with her from the comfort of my bedroom. Literally, I took the call on my computer in my bed with the covers on me. It was amazing. This way, you don't have to see anyone in person if you don't want to. And also, if you don't even want to turn your camera on, you don't have to. BetterHelp is designed to customize online therapy in a way that is most comfortable and enjoyable and helpful for you. If you're interested, once again, head to betterhelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash realpod. Once again, head to betterhelp.com slash realpod for 10% off your first month. Today's episode is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. Y'all know I love Athletic Greens. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. Literally, you fill up a cup of water, get one scoop of your Athletic Greens. It has everything I just described. You mix, 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 stir, 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 bam, you're done. Drink that. And that special blend of ingredients is supporting your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, all the things. I love taking athletic greens because then I don't have to worry so much about, am I getting all my vegetables throughout the day? It can be stressful when you have to think that way about food, at least for me. So I love knowing that when I drink my athletic greens in the morning, I am checking off a huge, huge box that's giving my body the nutrients it needs every single day to support myself in feeling my absolute best. If you go to athleticgreens.com slash real pod, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash realpod to get a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. So if you're interested, head to athleticgreens.com slash realpod. Once again, visit athleticgreens.com slash realpod for a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com slash realpod to pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Big fan of everything that you said, and it makes me think of the people who gave me hope or the hope that I could give to someone. And actually, I have a really sweet story. I'll make it really fast. I'll give the very Spark Notes version, but it's the perfect example of what you described. And I, when I heard this, I just haven't forgotten it. It's so cute. And maybe you've heard it before, Dr. T. But basically, as the story goes, there's two people in a hospital room together. They're strangers, but they get in, assigned in the same room. And actually, one of the strangers in the room just lost their sight. So this person can't see. And at first, they're not talking and they're not friends. And you know they're annoyed that they're sharing the room with the other person. But eventually, they get to talking and they get to know each other a little bit. And you know the one who can't see says to the other, just tell me what's going on outside today. Like, I'm so bored sitting here. Like, what's happening outside the window? And the stranger in the room says, well, outside today, there's a mom walking with their baby. It's sunny outside and, you know, it's just quiet. And then they get into this habit where every day the blind stranger says, oh, what's happening today outside the window? And the stranger describes, you know, whether it's the weather or it's people. And then eventually one day the other stranger has passed. And so they are out of the room and the blind stranger's alone. And when the nurse comes in, the stranger says, will you tell me what's happening outside the window? Like so-and-so always used to tell me and they're not here now. And the nurse said, 
there's no window in the room. And it's a story of instilling hope in someone when they don't have it and they can't see it. And ever since I've heard that, it's just stuck with me because it's powerful what we can bring to the lives of other people. I think, I mean, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think it, it really speaks to what we're talking about, right? Like, why not give it a try? Why not give it a chance? Why not instill hope in people, right? And if we really, really want to take this idea of mental illness and translate it over to mental health and say, we need to take care of ourselves, then why not take the steps and use the language and the hope and the positivity in a way that's productive. But if all we're doing is consuming negativity, then it just makes it okay to be miserable. And if all we say is it's okay not to be okay, then what's the other alternative? Like, why does that have to be where we end up? Like, why is that our goal? Why can't our goal to be to be great, to constantly get better, to have meaningful relationships, to have hope, to have love? Like, you know, anytime there's a major tragedy in this world, what do we see? We see people come together and they talk about hope and they talk about love and they take care of each other, right? In the worst circumstances. And we talk about how beautiful it is. Why do we have to wait for these major tragedies to be able to live like that? Why can't we do that on these smaller day-to-day experiences that frankly are so tragic? And if we can do that, and actually create a lifestyle and create a habitual thing, then I think it's going to be a lot easier. And yes, change is hard and people don't want to change because I think the difficult thing is if you fail, you feel like you're worse than where you started. But to me, every experience is a learning experience. And so if we continue to do that, we continue to make minor changes, even if it's just getting out of the bed in the morning, brushing your teeth and getting back into bed, that's a lot better, right? And then you incrementally say, you know what? Now that I'm out of bed and I brush my teeth, I might as well take a shower, right? Now you say, you know what? I might as well go downstairs. Like incremental changes can instill that hope and that positivity and that ability to be like, well, I can do a little bit more. I can do a little bit more. Like, why can't we think that way? Why are we choosing not to? You know, it's interesting. When people leave my office, I generally do not tell them a diagnosis unless they ask, what is this? What do you think? And I say, well, based on our first meeting, based on what you told me, this is consistent with blah, 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 because, and I go back and I list all the things that they do. I don't say this, you had this for this and this for this and this for this and this for this. And ultimately I help them understand better about why I think what I think and try to stay away from these labels because they're not labels. And yes, they might be struggling with depression, but it doesn't mean they're depressed all the time or that they have this all the time. It's like your analogy about being a volleyball player. Yes, you played volleyball. Yes, technically you're a volleyball player, but you're much more than that. You were a student, right? You were a friend. You were a daughter, right? You're so much more than just a volleyball player. And if that's all we identify you as, and then you can't be that, or you don't feel like you're good enough to be that, now that label has become toxic and that label has now become pathologic. And so I think we have to be careful about how we diagnose and how we treat people as providers. And I think, again, that's what sets to me apart, you know, a great provider from just a provider is the ability to listen, articulate, find out the language and get to understand that person and know you don't have to leave there with a label and a pill and a, and, and a treatment plan day one. Also, on the note of everything being desensitized, I also think in a weird way, doctor's visits, friends I've heard, you kind of just go in and 
they don't spend that much time with you often. And you could get a diagnosis and then leave the appointment like, oh my God. Like I remember the first time I was told I had a binge eating disorder. You know, we we actually met for a while, but then it was like, whoa, I just got this label and are we sure? <laughs> exactly. Because then what are you? If that's all you are and then you get better, then what are you? And I think that's where people are afraid to change. It's crazy how many people feel misunderstood. It's such a universal thing, but it's also okay to be misunderstood. But anyways, before I got you sidetracked, um, that's on me. I asked what were the general mental health takeaways? I mean, I think, look, one thing I think is important is that if we really want to change, break the stigma, we have to change the narrative, right? And part of that has to do with the way that we talk to each other. Part of that has to do with the information that we consume, right? What are the thoughts that we're putting in our heads and the thoughts that we're projecting out of our head? I think that's an important thing. I think the other thing is that I think hope and optimism, if it's done authentically and genuinely, then I think it can be really, really powerful. But if things are just done superficially, in the short term, we might feel validated, but it's not going to be authentic. And ultimately, that's toxicity to me. And toxicity can be negative. It could be positive. But the reality is if we're more genuine and we're really more authentic and we try to understand each other's experiences, then I think this marginalization that we feel when we're really, really struggling is going to be much, much more minimized and we're more likely to be able to actually help each other. Dr. T, thank you so much. I feel like this was such a great conversation and also discussion. And it's hard to kind of explore a lot of this because on social media, even when I attempted to do it briefly in a caption, there's just not enough time to fully say and acknowledge everything that's going into something. So it was great to just kind of flesh that out with you this evening. And I appreciate everything that you shared and for being so generous with your time and wisdom to gift it to RealPod. Well, I mean, it's always fun to talk with you. And I think that what you're trying to do with the whole topic and the title of your podcast, again, speaks exactly what we're talking about. So to me, this is time well spent. And again, we're building relationships and friendships. And ultimately, I think that is going to really help us all kind of become better versions of ourselves. So I appreciate you very much and everything that you're doing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real.